Chapter 21 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth, by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 21. Arkansas disappears. No questions asked. Murders. The chase. Ten o'clock in the morning had scarcely come when Joaquin aroused his men and ordered them to strike tents and break up camp. Although surprised at the sudden resolution, and very much preferring a day's rest to activity, all obeyed without hesitation, and, before the sun had marked noon, the whole band was leaving Mono Lake behind and proceeding towards Sonora Pass. Arkansas was not with the troop. An hour or so before the departure, Three-Fingered Jack, who could not let the first opportunity for revenge pass by, had slain, without a word to anybody, the man who had promised to defeat him in the previous contest. Joaquin gave no token of having noticed his lieutenant's cold-blooded act, for what could be done, short of death, to a man so dreadfully cruel? He preferred to say nothing, and feigned to have forgotten the prisoner. In any event, he was not very much distressed at what had happened, though he had reserved the captive for a peculiar titbit in the way of torture. He meant to make him, after the Indian style, a living target for his men. On coming to the south fork of the Tulumni River, Murieta formed his troop into detachments of twelve or fifteen, which were to go to Oreo Cantuva by different routes. He himself, leaving the females to the charge of Antonio and Guerra, selected fifteen stout fellows and took the road for Coulterville by the southeast. On the way from Don Pedro Bar to Snellings, he fell in with three Frenchmen, two Germans, and as many Americans, who were driving pack mules laden with provisions, blankets, and mining tools. He did not hesitate to stop them, and, while his gang was stood ready by his side to shoot at the first word, he strode up to one of the Frenchmen, who did not make use of his firearms, took him by the collar, and summoned him to point out where the money bag was put. The man stammered and spoke slowly in order to give his friends the time to offer resistance, which they did gallantly, but the banditti had been too quick for them and shot the three principals who resisted at first fire. Joaquin, annoyed at opposition being shown to him, flourished his dagger and immediately threatened to have every one of the survivors' throats cut if they did not turn over their gold to him. They resigned themselves to their fate, and, drawing from under the blankets a canvas bag, presented it to the captain, assuring him that it was the sum total of all their exertions. The contents amounted to $400. Murieta continued his journey thereupon, despite the entreaties of Three-Fingered Jack, who wanted to finish the German and the French left, and ordered the latter to move on in their own way. They did not require a renewal of the command, for the very good reason that, if the highwayman had made a more careful examination of their luggage— he would have found six more bags just like the one he had taken, containing in all about five and twenty thousand dollars worth of gold dust. After this robbery, the committers of it crossed the Merced River at Snellings, and turned to the east to gain Mariposa. A couple of miles from Mount Ophir, Joaquin was obliged to interfere to prevent Three-Fingered Jack from slaying a luckless Chinese, who was so sick and poverty-stricken that the bandit leader was thus affected. In a few hours more, they entered Mariposa two by two, though for otherwise, suspicions would have been excited. They stayed there for a week, having a good time and spending the booty lately acquired. Then they left the place, crossed the Mariposa River, and the Chowchilla. At ten or twelve miles from Coarse Gold Gulch, four Russian miners were met and killed and robbed. Several Indians, who had witnessed the affair, after the departure of those who had taken the lion's share, came in for the pickings and stripped the corpses of their garments. Being found some time afterwards in possession of the goods, they were pointed out to some Russians, friends of the murdered, and made to expiate the crime of Murieta and his command. The latter had already gone over the San Joaquin, about 25 miles above Fort Miller, after having laid over for two or three days at an Indian village for a rest. 
thence once again on the march, the morning of the third day had seen them at Arroyo Cantuva, where the majority of their fellows, previously arrived, were completing the putting up of tents. Joaquin, set at ease by Arkansas's death, had decided to dwell once more in the old retreat, more commodious and safer than any other. When all was settled in the encampment, the plunderers reposed for a whole fortnight, at the end of which they were started off in more or less numerous bodies, and with varied missions to perform. It was necessary to obtain money and horses somewhere, and also to keep the men employed, while at the same time information and profit were procured. Chiefs of such bands of marauders are often placed in the situation of the well-known lottery player who drew the elephant. If it cannot keep itself, goodbye to any peace to the owner. When all the divisions were off to accomplish their instructions, Joaquin was left with only a dozen men, among whom figured Antonio, Savalio, and Guerra. Murieta and this handful spent a month very agreeably in eating, drinking, sleeping, smoking, making love, and hunting in the mountains. The rainy season had by this time come on, which, everywhere unpleasant, was peculiarly so in the highlands. Here the captain of ravagers decided to take the field in person and find a site favorable for the execution of the plans on which he had set his mind. Two days afterwards, he directed his steps toward the north of the state, accompanied by Savalio, who was to show him the gold buried by him and his companions on the bank of Feather River. After several short halts at Mariposa, Sonora, Murphy's, Muckalomney Hill, Jackson, Drytown, Ragtown, and Fiddletown, the leader and his lieutenants arrived at Hangtown. They opened performances by the unromantic act of having a good supper in one of the eating houses, after which Savalio went away on horseback while his master entered a dance house, where he was quickly surrounded by some pretty Chilean girls, belonging to the establishment. Joaquin carried himself with so much gracefulness and attractiveness that he had many dances with the charmers. When he could believe that he had the right to repose a bit, he went and sat down between a couple of the frail beauties and chatted on all the topics on which such ignorant hirelings could converse. The sound of this trialogue and the laughter of the women very soon attracted the attention of all upon the three, and the careless Joaquin recovered some gravity on perceiving that he was examined most searchingly by some Americans, who seemed to be keeping the door intentionally. In a few moments, he recognized in one of them the driver of the stage which he had stopped near White Rock House. For the man's part, the astonishment depicted on every one of his features at such foolhardiness proved that he had known the highwayman again. Without discovering, as chess language does, the least fear or even mere uneasiness, which would have been ruinous, the robber king rose with the greatest serenity, wished the girls a good night, rolled his cloak around him, and went out. At the door, a hand lightly touched him. "'Excuse me, sir, but I'd like to see you,' said a voice." Murieta had already sprung upon his horse, which had been left tied up before the door of the next house. "'Well,' replied he, mimicking the speaker, "'you do see me, and you ought to be satisfied with having seen me for the last ten minutes.' And away his spurred horse took him round the first corner. After a swift ride, during which he had got over fifteen miles, he reached Junction House, where he put up his steed and spent the whole night, supposing with reason that no chase would be begun of him before morning.' At peep of day, he galloped off to Taylor's ranch with the intention of tracing a semicircle and arriving at Fiddletown in time to meet Savalio. He did not go at a very severe pace now, for he reckoned considerably on the confusion which would be among the hangtowners. He was passing the ranch when he heard in his rear the hoofs of many horses and caught sight before long of a good number of well-armed horsemen coming after him. The one first look was all that was required to inform him what was to be expected. He gave the reins to his horse, which flew away as with wings of the wind, the pursuers pressed on, with many an oath of the whites and many a whoop like a redskin, but in this race the Mexican, born in the saddle, as one may say, kept his head. Rejecting his first idea, Joaquin turned abruptly toward the southeast and entered upon the mountainous country, very certain that there the followers could make nothing by superior speed, at least. The treacherous nature of the soil rendered his own progress more difficult than he had believed at first. 
More than once, in toiling up excessively steep ascents, his horse had gone down on its knees, fortunately lightly, and as many times in descending, it had slid along on its drooped haunches, its hoofs slipping and plowing up the red clay. At the base of one of the hillocks ran a rock-lined gully, in the depths of which rolled a little torrent, on the way to add heaven knows what incalculable treasures in its foam to the American River. It was a very dangerous place for the best cavalier on the freshest steed to attempt to traverse, and Murieta hesitated to take the leap, but seeing the foremost of his hunters rising up on top of the butte, only a hundred yards from him at most, he put his horse to it. The next instant he was across. A narrow escape, nevertheless, for his horse, which had missed footing on touching the opposite side, staggered on the very brink, damp and slippery, and only recovered itself by an effort which its own dread supplied. The leader of the chasers tried to follow, but his animal refused the leap, and he had to give it up, as spurs and even a stab with a knife could not overcome its obstinacy. His men pulled up at the edge and fired two or three shots apiece at the unharmed and disappearing marauder of the mines. End of chapter 21